We were at the OCN, the Owners' Corporation Network, Strata Matters Conference last week. Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It went really well. They had about 200 people there and oh, it was full. goodness knows. Absolutely full. It was, yeah, they sold all their tickets. And a number, another 50 people apparently logged in oh. and watched uh, on, on the internet, online. Mm. And I'll tell you what, though, I thought it was it could have been a full day rather than four hours. Yeah, sure. No, there was so much I, material I, I, there, the, really. Yeah, and I felt we were a bit rushed, to be honest. But we got through our sessions mm-hmm. um, and you took copious notes. So we will talk about that. Um, we'll talk about, well... Daniel Andrews' announcement, first of all, that there's going to be a 7.5% levy on Airbnb and yes, mm. short-term rentals, and the fact that he's resigned. Yeah, that was. A, I didn't see that coming. No, nobody did. Actually. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a bit of a shock. I'm sure the Airbnb people will be dancing in the street. <laughs> and we're going to talk about a bit of a collective sales disaster, where people were all ready to sell their building, and then they got basically screwed over by the legislation that was meant to protect. Mm. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the Flat Chat column for the Australian Financial Review. And I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Strata Matters Conference... Last Friday. Yes, and it was their 21st anniversary of the founding of the OCN. Wow. I can't believe it's been 21 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people, somebody wrote to me the other day and said, as a founder of the OCN, that I, you know, I can't remember what they were saying. And I felt like saying, well, I actually am not even a member. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. Let alone a founder. So oh. what happened? Because so, you, you took copious notes. Yes, well, we had the opening message from the minister, Analuk Chantibong. Um, A bit disappointing that he didn't come along, really. I think sometimes they don't realise how important the strata vote is. But hopefully, you know, he will have seen how many people came along and maybe he'll come next time. And he talked about how that, well, he should have been realised how important it was. He was talking about how there are a thousand new strata schemes registered every year in New South Wales alone. Right. So that's a huge number, isn't it? And then you add all those strata schemes being registered elsewhere around the country. Mm. Wow, that's incredible, really. He just talked about how they've got lots of recommendations for change and improvement to strata laws and they're being acted upon. But there is a huge appetite for change and for quick change. Anything specific? Not really. <laughs> was there some hint in that earlier session? Now, there was a, an early session with Tim James, the Shadow Minister for Fair Trading, and Alex Greenwich, the independent member for Sydney. Mm. It was kind of interesting because Tim was talking about how he'd also experienced defects in his apartment building, which I think cheered us all no end, really. Mm. <laughs> And he was talking about how strata should really be considered the fourth tier of government. Right. And uh, which is absolutely right. We've been talking about that for a long time, really. Um, and, and Alex reminded us that there hasn't been a lot of changes made, um, laws to stop proxy farming, um, the establishment yep. of the Building Commissioner's Office, which yep. has been huge. Yep. Some controls around short-term letting, although perhaps they're not being um, uh, policed as, as well as they could. And also allowing... Or, or at all. 
Well, yeah, depending on the local council, really. And also allowing pets into apartments. Um, he was saying there's challenges still really remain around strata renewal and need for oversight for that. And affordable housing, cost of living, we need more action on short-term letting, looking at better caps on the number of nights allowed, making sure the rental housing stock isn't depleted so much by short-term rentals. And um, having more power for strata, um, for owners' corporations, to enforce their own bylaws around short-term letting. Now, is there any hint at all that New South Wales might follow Victoria in putting a tax on short-term letting? Well, Alex actually said he'd like the New South Wales government to consider Victoria's tax. Right. Tim James looked a bit uneasy. (laughs) Right. Well, he's a liberal. (laughs) Well, that's right. So it's unlikely that he'd want to go that way. But Alex said, you know, the New South Wales government should really think about it. Maybe not as much as 7.5%, maybe a bit less, but they should really look at putting a levy on short-term rentals. But I don't know why they would go for less than Victoria. I mean, it's the same problem. The tax is not there to raise money. It's to force people to put their properties back into the residential rental market, isn't it? Well, that's right. This was discussed in Q&A on the ABC Mm, last night. That was very interesting, wasn't it? Somebody said, well, look, if people aren't making enough on short-term rentals, they're really unlikely to put it back into the residential rental market. They're much more likely just to sell it and then you're kind of left without a home at all to rent. And I think that's a bit silly, really. That's stupid. I mean, certainly there are investors leaving the market at the moment for for various reasons and, you know, interest rates being one of them, really. But um, I think once you've got an investment property, you've got it for the long term because that's when you make money, when you you hold on to it. So I don't think people will be just thinking on 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 the... just because the, the levy is 7.5%, immediately thinking we'll just discard our property completely. The, because they could pass it on, some of it at least, to their tenants, their short-term tenants. But, I mean, there was a ridiculous suggestion that some people would rather leave their property empty if they couldn't get short-term letting in it. I mean, and there's so That's many crazy. stupid arguments mm. and that thing. That whole panel, the only sensible voice was that Labour MP, whose name escapes me, he was basically saying that housing was a right and housing is a right, but making money off property isn't a right, but we consider it to Mm. be a right. Mm. And people are misusing the housing stock. But as always happens, you've got one guy, that radio person from Melbourne, the guy on the end, Mm. uh, he he was saying, oh, you know, there's no evidence that these properties will go back into the housing market because most of the short-term tenants in Victoria are from other parts of Victoria. I mean, it just, it was just total non sequiturs. Yeah. And then there was the Aboriginal woman who quite rightly said, well, this isn't going to help uh, Aboriginal people who are suffering homelessness, partly because even if these apartments do come back onto the market, then the Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory, etc., won't be able to afford them anyway, mm. which is a fair point, but that's not an argument for not doing it. And it's almost like that argument of if we can't get perfection, then let's not do anything about it. Mm. And then there was a woman in the audience who was saying, oh, you know, I've got this business, we're going to suffer so much. But what about the people who had to who got kicked out of the city centres to make way for holiday lets? Mm. I just found it so infuriating. You know me, I don't shout at the television much. 
<laughs> but I was shouting at the TV last night. Mm. And this is what Airbnb and stays absolutely love, is when people start having an argument, a discussion about short-term lets, and just get away from the core issue. Mm. Right, the the very you know as soon as they start arguing about it, they all argue from a different point of view, a misinformed point of view, all that nonsense about sharing. I mean, they very quickly go, "Oh, these people that will cost people jobs." And one person said, "Oh, it's all mum and dad investors." Where no, it's we, it's we mostly, know that. Yeah, it's, it's mostly commercial operators now yeah. with multiple properties. Yeah. It's, you know, it, you know, but they just trot out this nonsense. And some of them are reading off the, the Airbnb and stays playbook, you know, that just mm. say this, tell them that, keep, keep saying this message, keep talking about sharing, keep talking about jobs. Here's the thing. And it struck me when Daniel Andrews was announcing this at a press conference, somebody said, well, why haven't you done this before? Why didn't you do this at the start? And he Mm. said, because we didn't have 39,000 homes taken out of the residential Mm. rental market before. Mm. That's right. Uh, That's the argument right there. And if you think about it, if half of the Airbnb and and stays properties in New South Wales and Victoria, if just half of them came back into the residential rental market, that would be 50,000 homes overnight. Mm. Yeah. You can't build them in a year. Yeah. But you could get them back into the market within a couple of months. Yeah, because I was talking to someone today about, um, the, you know, the Australian government, the federal government encouraging more um, homes to be built. And they're looking at, I don't know, 450000 a year, that kind of thing. That's yeah. what they're aiming for. They were saying that it's going to take at least seven years to get those actually, you know, finished. Finished. Because they've got to go through planning approvals, especially in New South Wales. Planning approval takes a long, long mm. time. They've mm. got to find the the materials. They've got to build mm. them. They've mm. got to well, they've got to design them first, obviously. Yeah. Build them, um, and it's, seven years is a long time. If yeah. someone's sleeping in their car or couch surfing or yeah. on the streets, seven years is a lifetime, really. You know, and and the people who are saying, oh, you know, we went into Airbnbs, you know, and developed and and you know put furniture in these places because we want to make money for our retirement. Well, you know, my heart does not break for you. My heart breaks for the people who are sleeping in cars. And maybe those people wouldn't be able to afford those apartments when they come back on the market. But the very fact that there are more homes available will take down the price of rents rents right down the line. Mm. And will affect the vacancy rate, you know. Absolutely. You've got a vacancy rate in in a place like Villawood, in Western Sydney, it's 0.58%. Goodness me. I mean, Sydney generally is about 1.6. Yeah. But, you know, that's incredible. And Villawood has, is suffering a much higher rate of mortgage stress than nearly every, any other borough in Sydney. Well, because people were desperate to buy houses at any price, or and, homes and, at any price, And apartments. their incomes are lower than average as well. Yeah. So it's yeah, really, it's really just, hard. And just so that we... You know, so a bunch of people can make more money. It's not that they they wouldn't be able to make any money off their apartments if they didn't have them on Airbnb. They're just making more money than they would have with regular tenants. And they to be whining and complaining about an extra seven and a half percent tax on what they earn. Nah, you're not gonna. My heart does not bleed for you. I'm sorry. I think you're being a bit harsh because I think. A lot of people thought this is a genuine, genuine way to, to make money for their retirement. And they wouldn't, nobody realized, you know, when people started out doing Airbnb, 
nobody realised that it would have such a catastrophic impact Excuse on me. the housing Excuse supply. Excuse me. I was writing about this for years and saying it would happen. Were you? Yeah. <laughs> I am the person. Well, most people didn't realise. Yeah. <laughs> Don't you, you know, notice? some of these people got into it and, you know, like I stayed at Airbnb, you know, years ago. I stayed in Melbourne and it was a woman who was yeah. renting out a bedroom in a house yeah. and I stayed with her. But that was, was the great. proper sharing. That was different, yeah. Yeah. These are people who take an apartment which would normally have a family in it or a couple in it and throw them out and say, right, we're going to have tourists coming in here and uh, you know if it's in an apartment block well you know if the other people don't like it that's tough but oh by the way could you please keep up the repairs and maintenance um because yeah we know our two our tenants our guests knock the building about a bit but we'd like it to look nice and clean for them so that we can get more money off them i mean jesus come on mm. okay let's stop that we've finished now we've done that one all right well okay. we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to go back to the strata masters conference strata masters conference strata Ma- that's what i say And we're back. Yes, and there, there was another panel which you chaired um, about making good decisions for your asset in challenging times. Yes. And it was really interesting. Tonya Gibson of Strata Answers talked about water and about the importance of saving water. Yes. <laughs> but it was interesting. She was saying that 80% of Strata water bills are water used inside an apartment. And she was talking about a company who goes through an apartment and does an audit of apartment buildings. Mm -hmm. And the team of plumbers come in, go through the building, fix any leaks, replace old fittings, and generally kind of tighten up everything. And they usually find a saving of between 30 to 45% on bills as a result of that. Wow. And there was one small building that that had an annual saving of 40%, which was $19,000 a year. That's a lot of money, you know, over a number of years as well. So that was something I'd never actually considered before. And it's also helping the environment because a big part of the cost of water in apartments is pumping the water up to the top so that Mm. it can come down through gravity. Yeah. And uh, the more water gets used, the more electricity gets used in pumping the water up. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that was a valid thing. Then Rena Van Oust of um, Strata Central talked about how the cost of living is impacting us all. But um, she hadn't seen levy defaults rising very much. No. And she thought it's maybe because some people are still on fixed rate mortgages. They haven't quite gone over that cliff onto variable rates yet. And it right. may happen. But she was saying that um, buildings have a statutory duty to keep buildings in good repair and most most owners are prepared for modest increases in levies. Yeah. And and they have to take that into account when they're looking at their capital values may have doubled, you know, over the past five years. Yeah, but there was a, a, a suggestion, and this was picked up by the other speaker, Paul Morton, that the majority of people in apartments do not consider that it's their duty to financially support members of the community mm. who are worse off than them. Mm. In, in other words, if you've got your levies in default – then you better pay them because your neighbours are not just going to let it slide for too long before they come looking for penalty interests. And Mm. especially if they need to borrow money um, to keep things going, those penalty interests, it just happens to to work out, pretty much cover the interest of a strata loan. Mm. So there is absolutely no benefit in owners' corporations saying, we're not going to charge you the penalty interest on your unpaid levies. Yeah, absolutely. So what else happened? And Paul Morton from um, 
Lennox. Lennox Strata Finance, was also talking about, you know, when you need big repairs in a building or you want to do an update, um, you've got three ways of going. You can use your sinking fund, um, you can have a special levy, and you can take out a loan. I mean, obviously, he specializes in loans yeah. to Strata buildings. But he was saying, when you kind of compare the cost of each one, you have to look at it pre-tax and post-tax, which hadn't occurred to me before, mm. really. And he was saying that often, you know, it's really important to pay for good solutions to preserve the value of your apartment. So yeah. you need to pay out this money. And he was saying often, the majority of times, a loan turns out to be cheaper after tax than the alternatives. Right. And uh, Rena kind of said, you know, she often recommends loans to her clients in building, whereas some people are very nervous about them. But then we all take out mortgages. We all take them. Well, so one why of the, not for the buildings? One of the questions from the floor was um, that somebody said that their strata manager said that a strata loan would affect the value of all the properties in the building because people would say, oh, there's a strata loan here. Mm. Um, so it's worth less. And I think Paul jumped on that fairly quickly. He said, well, people just calculate it into the, the value, the cost of the, the property. And mm. people would rather see that a, a property was having repairs done yeah. than that the owners point. were kidding themselves that, you know, the, everything was fine when it quite clearly wasn't. Yep, absolutely. And then we had a keynote from Katie Harbin of the Better Regulation Division mm. at Customer Service, and she talked about the various acts that have been put into place to improve the design and quality of buildings and to safeguard future construction quality. And somebody from the floor um, talked about their concerns. It's really hard getting skilled tradies now because some of them… They don't have the certification. The, yeah, yeah, they don't have the qualifications now necessary. And and Katie argued back and said, well, really, we had to lift the standard. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a short-term shortage because those people are now getting their qualifications. They're getting and, trained up. Yeah, but w- in the long I mean, run. I mean, the, the key issue there was waterproofing, and that's the one that has uh, plagued Strata for years. Mm. People just – waterproofing has been so suspect that it, it was the one thing that really needed fixing, and it's the one mm. thing that people are saying, oh, we can't get our waterproofing done because we don't have the skilled trades. Mm. Well, skill up is the answer. Absolutely. And then there's a panel that I um, – Mediated, moderated, moderated, sorry, the adaptation and renewal of ageing assets. And uh, we had Professor Hazel Easthope of the University of New South Wales um, from the City Futures Centre and Daniel Cerrone of Sedgwick, a, a building consultancy and structural engineering company. And they do surveying and project management as well. And uh, we looked at maintaining buildings. And Daniel talked about how you have to um, define the objective and extent of works really closely mm. and keep good communications with all your traders to make sure you're doing okay. And then there's also the the idea of improving buildings. Um, I mentioned the Glenview Court in Tamarama, that old brutalist building yeah. right on the hillside there, which right has now the cliff, become, yeah. which has now become Sky Tamarama. And, uh, you know, it's an old 60s, 78 apartment building and it's now got two fabulous penthouses on the roof, which are being sold for $20 million each with a for sale. They've got a couple of levels of car parking underneath the building that have been dug out and it's got a new wavy roof and it's, it's got yeah. kind of nice courtyards and balconies now. So it's yeah. really, 
change the building and they had a huge strata loan to do that. Yeah. And I mean it was it wasn't smooth sailing at all. It was no. kind of <laughs> it you know, was there were not lots easy. of cost blowouts and yeah. you know, rows and difficulties, but they've finally seemed to have got there. So yeah. um and hopefully they can sell their penthouses. So, you know, the sky's the limit, <laughs> so <laughs> to speak. Right. Um and Hazel talked about the sort of things you can do. You can look in your um, building to see if there are any spare spaces that aren't being used, common property spaces. Mm. You could have little work from home offices, mm. you know, you can sell those places to people. You can in in some old buildings at Bondi, they've kind of reconfigured them and rebuilt them to to make more apartments as well. And then there's demolish and collective sale. Well maybe we'll talk about that after the break. Um okay. because that's a, there's a very specific example there of things that have gone horribly wrong and other things that are going wrong for some residents. Um and at that point, I think we had to leave. Yes. So we missed David Chandler, the building commissioner. A, a recording of him. Well, yes, that's right. And then there was a panel on strata disaster and emergency planning and de-risking. Well, we, we'll yeah. never know. Yeah, well, that was all about emergency protocols and building diagrams and leadership communication. But presumably we could put a link from the OCN onto the Flat Chat website. Yeah, because so could... anybody who missed it can mm. go, including us, can yeah. go back and uh, watch the video of what happened uh, for the whole of the day, basically. Fantastic. I mean, it'll be cut back a bit, but mm. you'll get the essence of it there. Mm. Right. When we come back, we're going to talk about collective sales and uh, how it can go wrong if uh, you just take one or two steps in the wrong direction. That's after this. Collective sales. Yes. um, This is what we used to call the forced sales thing. That's where 75% of owners can vote to agree to demolish or sell the building or whatever, especially it was designed for older buildings that were well past their use by date, but you might have one or two owners holding out either for emotional, sentimental reasons or because they wanted to be the last person to sell so that they could get the most money. Absolutely. So with the 75% rule, I think a lot of people thought there was going to be a lot more small crumbling old buildings demolished and Mm. big buildings put up in their place, which would be one of, you know, a central tenant for the New South Wales government to improve, to to ease the housing crisis really, because lots of these areas have been rezoned, so they allow much higher buildings Mm. and and so that they would have a lot more apartments on those kind of sites. So Mm. a lot of the older buildings get together and they all want to try and sell their buildings together. So then a developer can come in, amalgamate the sites and build a huge tower or a couple of huge towers. And Macquarie Park has been kind of a test case for this because it was rezoned to allow much higher buildings. It's got lots of crumbling old stock um, from the 50s and 60s. And as well at the time, the market was really strong. Mm. So, you know, developers were really keen to, to build new buildings. But then it all went kind of horribly wrong. Lots of buildings got together and tried to sell them to developers. And out of 11 bids, only two of those are now being redeveloped. And that's a really small percentage. And Professor Hazel Easthope has done a paper which has come just come out. um, And I've done a story about it for the Herald. And it's about two buildings that got together, wanted to sell their apartments. They... They got a good offer from a student housing developer, GSA. Yeah. And so they decided to go with that. But at the same time, unfortunately, another developer um, who was going to make another rival bid but then withdrew it 
um, owned some apartments in the building. So therefore, they were part of the 25% who objected. Right. And under the new legislation, the minority owners can go to the Land and Environment Court and object to a building strata being extinguished. Yeah. And so some companies associated with that developer did exactly that. And the problem with the new legislation that nobody really foresaw is that the new legislation says that the owner's corporation has to pay for those minority owners to go to the Land Environment Court, has to fund their appeal. So therefore, the owners are kind of paying huge money for legal action against themselves. By a commercial interest. Mm. And well, yes, nobody kind of foresaw that. And in this case, the owners' corporation were quite wise and they said the developer, the, the GSA, the successful tenderer, um, they made an agreement with them that they should pay the legal costs if there were any objections. Yeah. So then GSA was then paying the legal costs of a rival developer to protest against their, their plans. So it became really, really expensive, incredibly messy, and in the end the whole thing collapsed. GSA walked away because it was becoming too expensive. Right. And as a result of that example, a lot of the other developers who were thinking of redeveloping sites started saying, well, no, we're not going to do it if there's only 75% of people who want to do it. We'll only do it if there's 100% unanimous. So then you're back to square one before that legislation came into effect. Right. And just briefly, because we are running out of time, um, there is there's stories going around about a developer um, in Sydney who is going into old buildings that need Work done, like fire orders. Yeah, remediation or, work, mm, uh, seriously. Yeah. And and going in and dobbing the buildings into the local council, getting the remediation orders through, and then saying to the owners, okay, you better sell to me now before these crippling special levies come in. That's right. And it's- apparently this has happened in two buildings, and they're old buildings but in fantastic locations with terrific mm. harbour views and things. And this is so sleazy. I mean, yeah, if it's, it's really true. It's cynical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We, we know the buildings involved, yeah. um, but maybe we could do a bit more work on that, really. But yeah. it's just a horrible thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these are people's lives and their homes, and um, somebody sees they could get a buck out of it and uh, just pounces really Okay, I remember a couple of years ago there was somebody in the eastern suburbs who bought into an old building, persuaded the owner's corporation to dig a new car park under this old building, which is going to cost a fortune, a huge special levy. All the old people who were on fixed incomes sold out at you know, knockdown prices, and the car park was never built. It was just a ruse to scare people. <gasps> oh, how horrible. How evil. These people yeah. should be in jail. I sense our dinner is burning. I'd better go and fix it. <laughs> so uh, we might pick up some of these themes for next week because uh, there was a lot going on at the conference. And and there will be a link to the OCN website where you can catch up with that yourself. Thanks again. I know you're very, very, very busy at the moment, but it's always good to sit and have a chat about things strata. We will talk to you all again next week. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W 
click on subscribe and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.